Uh, so nice. It's nice of you to sleep in this morning. Well, you called me at like 5 a.m. this morning, my time. I did. I did. I really did. Uh, so let's do this thing. Uh, you know, we're, uh, we, I don't know why you guys are so late. I don't know. So so to bring in, to bring the family in, uh, this thing kicked off on the top of the hour and I was in the middle of a meeting and with 10 minutes to go, the, the person running the meeting says, Brian, I want you to present what's on your laptop. Uh, and frankly, they just wanted to do a compare and contrast of Docker files and they were using my machine to embarrass me. And so we ran a little late. And then on top of that, you know, you got to set up the mic, you got to grab a drink, you got to go, you know, clear the facilities and you got to test the audio so that you never lose it and all these things. And here we are, here we are uh, running late and it's all my fault, but you guys don't know that, but we like to share, we like to be honest. So as the fact that we're running late, uh, we are going to talk cloud again. Okay, so I'm just going to do this thing, Brent. I'm ripping the, you the introduction band aid. Um, we're on the hot aisle, and I'm Brian Carpenter, and with me, Brent Piatti. And, good morning. Yes, and I've ripped the show band aid off. We're talking cloud. We're talking large service provider. We're talking, you know, how do people come out there and get whatever AAS, AAS as a service? And you know what? Greg's going to, cor- you know, correct us a thousand times on what we say. And he's going to keep us honest. So Greg is our guest today. Greg Warden, welcome to the show. Hey, it's a pleasure to be here, guys. Thanks for having me. And our copious notes have you as the VP of Engineering for DigitalOcean. Is that correct? That is, in fact, the case. That is that awesome. Is there, you know, there's this phenomenon where, like, if you go to do something and you know that this, you now know that this thing occurs. Like, if you go buy a new car, like Greg, last year when you bought your Ferrari, right? Ever right. since then, all you've seen is Ferraris on the road, right? Like you see more of them than ever before. This right. is what happened to me. Go ahead. So, so you're, what you're, you're going to say is, once you booked this with me, you've seen DigitalOcean everywhere. Is yes, that that's saying? exactly what I'm saying. It's been okay. it's been crazy. Matter of fact, I was just this weekend. I was mo- I was migrating my on-prem micro- Minecraft off-prem, and I was searching on a on a, a thing. There's a my, Minecraft, you know, for the kids. That's for the kids. Uh-huh. I play Minecraft uh-huh. for the kids. It's not for the grown-up. Sure. And um, the you know I was searching for service providers that were uh, good with certain types of things, and top three were uh, Linode, which I already have a relationship with, and another one was uh, SSD Notes, which I have a relationship with, and the third one was DigitalOcean. I'm like, I know them. This is awesome. Right. And uh, so, and I've been talking to other people about you guys as we do, as I do my research. Right. And uh, there's a lot of people who use you. So it's, uh, it's uh, you know, the confirmation, whatever it is, I love that phenomenon. There's probably a name for it, and I'm not smart enough to know it. But here right. we are, talking about DigitalOcean. So as VP of engineering for DigitalOcean, tell me what you do here. Well, it's uh, the company is really in a, uh, I would say an inflection point. It's probably too strong a uh, too strong a word, but we're really in a growth phase right now, and we haven't, you know, since since the beginning. Um, and so, I spend a lot of my time kind of dealing with the reality of sort of growth right now, but also trying to kind of prepare for the place that we want to be, you know, a couple of years from now. And so it's a ton of hiring, a ton of kind of dealing with sort of org design and planning. Um, you know, so there, we're also like at, at this point where the first four years of the company or first three years of the company, we had one product. It was, you know, a VPS backed by SSDs and, you know, that's what most people know us for. We now have a bunch of products and we're building a bunch more. And so like, how does the company change to, to really support the, uh, the, the kind of the processes and the way we think and the way we make decisions and how we sort of plan and execute in a multi-product company versus in a single product company. And it's just, it's really different. So, um, kind of going through all those growing pains, I'd say is a big part of my job. And, and prior to that, you came from, and we're going to get it, by the way, I can't wait to bring up the word reality of growth again. So pin that one in the air. It's coming back okay. around. Watch out. So okay. prior to that, you were uh, head of engineering service at uh, at Lassen, right? So 
For those who don't know, tell us what Atlassen did and then tell us what you were doing there as head of their engineering services. Yeah, so uh, most people know Atlassian for Jira or Confluence or HipChat or there's a couple other products as well. Um, and they're based out of Sydney, Australia. So I had the great pleasure of spending four years with my family in Sydney. And I went there to help them become a cloud company, really. So the pedigree of Atlassian was these monolithic JVM apps that you could download and run on your own servers. And um, I went there to help them become really a, uh, a proper SaaS company. And so it was running infrastructure, building a pass on top of uh, that infrastructure and in AWS as well, and then starting the journey to refactor these monolithic apps into microservices that are you know, stateless and horizontally scalable and kind of went through the, uh, the IPO process with them as well. And sort of four years there and then decided to come back to the, back to the States. That's so. awesome. I'm seeing a pattern here. I'm seeing an as-a-service pattern in your job history here, right? So uh, DigitalOcean, um, Atlassian, and even before that with Where.com and PayPal. I mean, clearly they've got some uh, service offerings that look – It's, I mean, it's finances as a service at the end of the day, right? I right. mean, it's like you're yeah. going to a massively scalable website. Uh, I know Thomson Reuters has lots of scale issues as well. Um, yep. So it, uh, that's – is that – is that a thing you happened into, or is that is that you? Like, is that how did how did the, how did the scale and as a service thing become kind of part of your pedigree? Yeah, I think my first uh, my first exposure to delivering applications you know, through the through the web or, or through a service provider uh, modality was actually going. Um, back before, even before Thomson Reuters, with a company called Envoy Worldwide, and we were an outbound service provider, so automated voice, fax, email, SMS delivery, and it's a shared utility model, and we really thought about a bunch of different ways that you've got some companies that needed uh, lots of scale, but only uh, very infrequently, and then we had lots of people that had sort of low-priority stuff that could kind of fill in the holes in the you know, in the duty cycle of your high priority customers. And that was like a really great business model. It was really fun and interesting for us. And, you know, we built this highly available 24 seven scalable service, you know, on top of like uh, SQL server six, five. I mean, like you, you get a lot of growing pains sort of back then, but we were like multi data center and we sort of dealt with all those sort of replication factors. And it was really pretty interesting. And that was my first exposure to that. But I, I kind of caught the bug back then that said this is a great delivery channel for uh, for value for customers because they can they can access it easily and we can scale and we can provide economies of uh, economies of scale for everybody. Um, so yeah, I've always felt. By the way, I've always felt like my personal opinion is trying to build something, especially back then, SQL six six five seven, building something highly scalable and highly available with with SQL six and six five. Uh, is akin to building a pyramid upside down, right? It's like uh, there's, right. oh, and, and so it's just uh, in, if the, if the wind blows a little too hard, you've got some risk going on. So um, you know, hats we off did. to you. So, hey Brent, when I'm late and I screw up, uh, I I hog the mic. So <laughs> I'm gonna hit my I'm gonna hit mute, and it's all yours. Yeah, but Brian, you're doing so great, man. I I think you're just you're on a roll, dude. You are on fire. I yeah. like it. Yeah. Well, cool. Hey, so so Greg, you you had you had talked about um, you know kind of finding your niche, but but clearly um, before even diving into the 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 job sector in technology, mm -hmm. you decided, hey, I'm going to go to school for this, right? I got and you have a master's in computer science. I do. So you spent time learning about all the nuances, right? And something perhaps led you down that path, or maybe it was an article that you read or what, but what, what encouraged you to get into technology and to, to kind of go down the path you've taken today? Well, I, I got, I had the, uh, I got exposed to computers very early on in life. So my father was an economist and he worked for a company called data resources where they were doing 
economic analytics for companies sort of way back when in the you know, back in the 70s. And so he had a, a VT100 terminal that he brought home that connected into their mainframe. And so I, I was exposed to it and I was naturally curious and, and kind of got that. I then had an Atari 800 was my first computer as a, as a kid. And yeah, I played games like everybody, but it was more fun getting the Byte magazine every month and typing in the, the, uh, the programs in the back and just being able to create stuff. And so that... The joy of, of creation um, and the ability to, you know, tell, you know, the, the computer didn't talk back to you like your sister does, right? It's like kind of did what you <laughs> said. And, and so it was just sort of fun. And I, I remember uh, sometime in high school when I was late coming home from school because I was like, you know, one more compile, it's going to work, it's going to work, right? And I was, and my, my mother's like, okay, Greg, where were you? Like, you know, you were doing something nefarious. I'm like, no, actually, I was in the computer lab trying to write this program. It just that was I kind of just fell in love with the creation process pretty early on. Yeah, right on. So where where would you um, kind of category would you fall into? Are you are you more of a developing guy or developer guy or more of an infrastructure guy? Or are you that uh, that unicorn, that full stack engineer that can do it all? So that's like a, a nice way of saying I'm, I'm a bit of a dilettante. Uh, <laughs> I am definitely, I come from a developer pedigree. I, uh, I'm always thinking about sort of new ideas and things I want to build. Um, I've really grown to appreciate the complexities of infrastructure and what building a, a reliable, scalable kind of service uh, feels like. And I think there's some intellectual uh, enjoyment in solving a bunch of those problems. And I, I totally... I see a, an opportunity to deliver value because it's hard to do and, you know, you can remove some of that complexity for other people. So that's, I mean, that's kind of why the business is sort of interesting, but I, I definitely come from the, the developer side and um, less from the infrastructure side. Okay, but, fair enough. Uh, so so um, I guess let's talk about it then. In, in your roles in the past and even today, um, you know, this, this DevOps thing, right, is it's a culture and it's a, of working together, um, you know, reaching across the aisle, if you will. I think it's a great analogy for today's time. But um, what what have you seen as um, time has progressed in truly that culture of DevOps and how do you how do you um, um, encourage it and, and cultivate that within the organizations you've been a part of and that you're a part of now? Yeah, I think the, uh, the really interesting transition or transformation is when infrastructure really becomes software-defined infrastructure. And so a lot of the patterns for how you want to do software-defined infrastructure um, require a lot of the things that, were, uh, that the software developers have been working on for a long time. So things around version control or, or how you do you know, pair programming to change control to all these sorts of things that are, were very natural for software teams wasn't the way you operated highly mutable infrastructure, right? You, you know, you patch servers, you did all that sort of stuff. But now, now when you're in a, a really a software defined world where you just tear down infrastructure and spin it back up again, we, bl we bring a lot of those best practices together. And so I think the, uh, the infrastructure, uh, the people who come from infrastructure are learning, hey, if I manage my configuration differently, it's like I can manage a much bigger infrastructure for a smaller, uh, you know, with a smaller team. And I think the developers, it's really appreciating all the, the complexity that the real world actually brings. You know, it's like servers fail, right? And at, at scale, like everything breaks all the time. And it's not because the infrastructure is bad, it just stuff breaks. And so learning to anticipate those failure modes and, and, and anti-fragility is, uh, you know, is something that is a shared problem for both of them. And so I think it's, it's really, yeah, they, they come together actually. Um, and as we, as we talk about coming together, I'm pumped about this. Uh, you know, I want to get into it. We mentioned, you know, you're a digital ocean, and uh, you're, you're talking about bringing those reliable and scalable services and removing complexity for others at a pretty big scale. Um, yep. And so 
You know, let's talk a little bit about DigitalOcean. So first of all, I mean, when was DigitalOcean founded? So we just officially had our fifth birthday. Okay. So, so today minus five years and a couple months. Happy so. birthday. Yeah. And, and uh, so right now it looks like um, most recent round is, uh, in, you know, A16Z, right? So Anderson Horowitz, you know, so the uh, great venture firm, uh, fantastic outlook on things. Um, so 123 million worth of funding from Anderson Horowitz. And what's, what's the expectation that you're doing with that money? Obviously you said growth, right? So what are you, what are we doing right now? Yeah, I think all infrastructure providers need money to buy infrastructure, right? So, you know, it's not too surprising, right? But the, uh, the economics are, are, are pretty good. So it's when we when we buy more servers and put them in data centers, they pay for themselves pretty quickly because we're just on a, a pretty rapid growth curve. And so the a lot of the questions we talk about, and I don't run the infrastructure team, so just keep that in mind, and nor am I on the finance team. So I'm talking a little bit out of school in both of these uh, both of these cases. So, um, but we. You know, the early days, you wanted to kind of manage the investments really carefully. Like, what's the the minimum amount of lead time that we need to buy stuff that we know we're going to use it because you don't know whether you have product market fit yet. But now we, we definitely have product market fit and we're definitely growing and we're acquiring customers all the time. And so we can extend the, the you know, that purchasing uh, cycle for that. So we can buy, you know, further in advance because we can anticipate the things that we're going to need. Um, and that, I mean, that's an interesting challenge. It's actually one of the, one of the things I was talking to my peers about is, um, how does a company like yours that where, where, you know, you, if you get put a new server in, like how many $10 a month does it take for you to make it worthwhile? How many do you have to have? That's kind of like, what's your kind of like rolling buffer, right? Like, it's almost like you have a paving machine that's constantly laying down a road as you're driving down it. Um, right. so, I mean, is that a pretty big, is that actually a pretty difficult challenge for the, for your peers in the infrastructure team? Is that, is that a combination of like, uh, their like predictive metrics as well as finances or how does, how does this, how does at your scale, how do you guys manage that kind of, those kind of choices? Yeah, I think we look at a kind of capacity utilization targets. And so since we're in a whole bunch of different regions, so it's not like just a one question, it's like. Like 11 questions, like how much capacity do we need in New York or Toronto or India or, you know, wherever. And so we look at what's the kind of growth rates in each of those markets and what's the kind of utilization on those, you know, on the infrastructure. And then you just decide what's your, what kind of what buffer do you need, right? And so we, uh, we definitely do that. And they've gotten much better at it. So I'm not the, I'm not the science behind it, but they're, they've got, it's all metrics driven. They kind of have goals where then triggers that, that launch into new uh, new purchasing patterns. That's awesome. What's so, kind of interesting? What's interesting though in the scale? It's a it, you know uh, a problem with one success is as as more people know about us, right? Almost a million developers have used us, so we're we're kind of our name is out there for sure. And as we become just sort of more, this is bigger. We all, and and if we continue to succeed in the ease of use, which is part of what we think is you know one of our success has led to our success is that we're really easy to use uh, that ease of use plus scale kind of makes us a good place for fraud activity right and so a lot of our capacity management problems we've had over the last year i'd say would is dealing with people that are trying to use the infrastructure in um, nefarious ways and so how do we how do we find that like suddenly wow we're out of capacity in toronto because some you know person took a whole database of credentials that they find that people are reusing their credentials in like multiple places. Right. And it's like, it turns into a Bitcoin mining farm or something like that. And so we, anyway, so there's a lot of work in trust and safety and it's like, it's pretty non-sexy stuff, but we, uh, you know, dealing with fraud is as much um, a problem as dealing with just legitimate growth. Yeah, and that was that was actually one of the things that I also found out about as I was researching trying to use uh, my my use case, which again was for kids. Um, was there are certain service providers that are actually heavily unfriendly to Minecraft because somebody pops up a Minecraft server, pays you forty dollars a month for all the bandwidth, 
But what it turns out into is that there's also nefarious people just in the gaming industry that will DDoS the server because they don't like people, they don't like that. And so now you have risk not only for that server, but all of the neighbors of that server because an IP right. on your on your network that's running a VPC of Minecraft is getting DDoSed because some kid doesn't like them. And so right. even those kind of things are challenges that you have to deal with. So how do you, I mean, how do you, is that a, is that a, is that an engineering task where you're doing all sorts of automation and things like that around that? Or is that the infrastructure team or the security team or who kind of, who's thinking of all these challenges and having to kind of create a new rule every day around those things? Yeah, it requires a bunch of different parts of the organization to come together. So we have a security team that provides some expertise and they're connected in the community so they kind of know what's going on where some of the threat vectors and they're they kind of inform about that we have a big data science team we have a data science team that's working on behavioral analytics so we can go hey you know people whose activity looks like this maybe that's something we need to look at and then we have a trust and safety team that can respond to either specific you know requests from outside that says hey this looks wrong can you go look at it or they can respond to that signal that comes out of the data science and well, hmm, this doesn't look right and then we try to automate the handling of as much of it as we can because it's not it can't be a manual process it's got to be an automated process and we could talk all day about these things i do want to focus in on you um as VP of engineering, you have kind of a, you probably have like a, a bit of a manifesto or some things that have been asked of you to deliver on behalf of DigitalOcean and frankly, your customers. So what are, what are you focused on doing? What is, what is the VP of engineering doing for these customers, for developers and for all those kind of things? Um, what, are you, what are you helping and what are your teams of teams helping do for DigitalOcean? Yeah, let me, let me take a step back on that, because I, I want to relate to you a little bit more about me, because that's actually what you asked. You want to learn more about me. Um, I was at a breakfast uh, a couple weeks ago with a bunch of other technology execs here in New York City. It was some incubator breakfast, and we were you know, asked for what what are some of our our you know, tricks or tips that we can share with each other. And and one one of my uh, peers in New York City said. You know, he spends 95% of his time focused on the development activities of his staff. So making sure that they're getting, you know, his teams are getting career development that they need or they've got the right environments or that they've got the right clear goals and sort of all these things about creating a great place for the, uh, for the developers to be effective. And I, my first blush was, wow, that's really cool. You really, really care about your people. And then I kind of looked, picked my head up and said, you know, I actually, I spend 95% of my time with every other department other than engineering because we are like a technology company and whether it's true or not, we're, it's not unapproachable, but we're kind of expected to be right. And so if people see things that are wrong, they're, they're kind of, I won't say hesitant to kind of broach with us, but there's, it's harder to build bridges into engineering than it is for engineering to build bridges the other way. And so... I spend way more time like with the product managers or with support or with finance or with the people teams or all these sorts of things trying to represent kind of what we're trying to do in engineering and build bridges in that direction. So you ask like, what am I doing? What are my teams doing? I think about product strategy all the time, even though that's not specifically my job, but the VP of product and I, we, we spend lots and lots of time trying to predict what the world's going to look like you know, six months from now, 12 months from now, 36 months from now, and what are developers really going to care about? Um, for, for me, it's, you might think of us as an infrastructure, as a service company, because that's where we came from, right? It was BPS, SSD-backed, you know, now we've got some storage products and, you know, some networking products and these traditional uh, um, infrastructure as a service company. But I really tend to think of it as we're a developer tools company, ultimately, and that we're trying to remove friction from developers' workflows. And it just happens to be that using infrastructure is one of the things that developers need. But at the end of the day, it's like, what are the activities that they're doing as opposed to what are the things that they're consuming? It's like, what are the verbs instead of what are the nouns? And so I look for, for friction in developer workflows and figure out how we can remove it. So I like that. No, so when you, you had this discussion, and I'm glad you're consistent 
um, because one of the one of the quotes that you had out there from the um, um, geez, the the um, CNCF, right? Yeah, CNCF. I'm trying to think. The Cloud Native Computing Foundation um, was or focused on enhancing the developer experience, right? And and that's exactly what you told this executive in in New York. And so what I want to dive into is is how you're doing that at DigitalOcean. Like what what makes the developer experience uh, that unique or differentiated from some of the other players that are out there today? Yeah, first off, I don't want to say that we've totally nailed it. So it's it's kind of what are we worried about and what are we focused on, right? Um, the the challenge is going to be in the next twelve to twenty four months for us for sure. When you when you have one product, when we just have VPS, it's actually reasonably straightforward to have a very simple experience, right? It's you come to our website, you sign up, you've got a server in like a minute. It's like a really frictionless experience. Um, there's still some complexity in there that I'd like to get rid of. Like we make you choose what region you want to run in. We ask you like one of like 20 different Linux distributions you might want to use. Like there's still a lot of like complexity in that. I think that could potentially go away over time. But it's as we add more capabilities and more things that developers can do, the challenge is really how do we make that, how do we keep that simple, right? Um, the story I like to tell is from my Atlassian days. I had three developers on my team writing tools to understand my AWS bill. And this is not, I'm not trying to take a, a job at AWS here. I'm just saying it's really easy for complexity to creep into what you're doing, right? And so we want to try, we're really trying to keep things as simple as we can for the consumers of this, this kind of infrastructure. And so if it's really hard, if you have to write programs to understand your bill, that's that's friction that, that shouldn't be there. And so it's it's not just making a better bill, but it's thinking about packaging and thinking about pricing and how do we bring things together so that you don't need a complicated bill to to uh, to, to use this stuff. So um, I think what's also interesting is that the world is just like rapidly, rapidly changing. And so where you had Maybe you had servers going to virtual servers, going to containers, going to functions, going to you know ML AI kinds of workflows. Just like what developers are trying to do is just changing all the time, and I don't think the tooling is keeping up with it really. And so, um, you know, we're thinking a lot about what are developers really going to want to be doing in some of these new, uh, you know, these new modalities, and where's the friction there? So yeah. Absolutely. You know, and, and since you brought it up, um, clearly, you know, AWS has seen your model and they are, they like it. Right. And, and, and frankly, they've tried to deploy it. I don't know how well they're doing, um, but the, I think it's light sale or something like that. It's a very similar model to what you guys, uh, you know, constructed years ago. Um, but obviously it's, it's, it's resonating well in the community. So um, it, if we, it sort of validates kind of what we're doing. I yeah, think. absolutely. Now, now, if we're let's let's talk futures here, and we'll kind of take a step back into uh, into the industry as a whole, right? Um, trying to trying to um, determine what the use is going to be in the future and what people are wanting. If we just look at public cloud um, as a whole, um, you know, Gartner and, and IDC and all these people are talking about just kind of growth of it. What what is your opinion of both private and public cloud or the, you know, the need for on-premises infrastructure versus someone else's and renting it? Well, let me, let me try to tell you why I came to DigitalOcean. So when I was getting ready to leave at Lassie and I said, okay, well, what do I, what are the kinds of things I want to go do? And I said, look, I've experienced both there and with a, a number of people that I had been sort of talking to and working with of the, the transformational potential of public cloud for businesses. And so I knew that I either wanted to go to a business that thought about how they could transform their business because of public cloud, or I wanted to be part of the companies that enabled that potential. And so it was less about, hey, moving applications from on-prem to somebody else's infrastructure. 
that's like there's lots of legitimate business reasons to do that. Maybe it's more secure. It's it's lower cost. Who knows? Like, lots of reasons to go do it. But what's like really intriguing to me is things like elasticity. So if you have a workload that needs a ton of compute for an hour and then you don't need it for a long time, it's just like so much more interesting to do that in a public infrastructure than in your own private infrastructure. Or, you know, if you want the, you know, immutable, if you want to take advantage of immutability or global distribution or all these sort of new ways of thinking about how to build and deliver applications, it's just so much easier to do in the public cloud than it is to um, to do it in the infrastructure that you have to manage and operate yourself, at least in my opinion. And so that's why I think it's it's here to stay for sure. Yeah, I don't think that it's going anywhere by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, there, there's all sorts of projections, and and I think that we're certainly trending towards that way. So, uh, you know, I think what um, what's what's going on is we're going to see a normalization, and um, you know, there's going to be rational decisions behind you know choosing one or another. So, um, I think that there's absolutely a necessity for for both, and it's it's great to see the everything maturing around this concept of self-service and elasticity and, and that's where we're heading. And, um, I think it's just kind of really neat to watch it, watch it grow. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. So, uh, talk to us, let's dive back into, into digital ocean. Uh, one of the things that, that I thought was, was interesting. Um, I was watching, um, a, an old YouTube video and we kind of dug into some of the infrastructure. And, and it's funny because I couldn't find any of it anywhere else, right? I couldn't find what it was kind of built on, um, hypervisors. Like most of that stuff is kind of public knowledge for the other cloud providers out there. But can you talk to us a bit about the underlying infrastructure, the open source um, tools that you guys are using to make DigitalOcean um, kind of automated and as a service to your, to your users? Uh, yeah, um, and I would say that the uh, the answer a couple years ago would, might be different than what the answer is today. Might be different than what the answer is, you know, next year or in, in two years from now. We're we're definitely migrating out of the you know I don't say founder code, but you know, migrating out of the initial idea into the the scalable system that we uh, that we're building today and that we have today. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's KVM is the, you know, virtualization engine, but that's for virtual servers. Um, we've got our own scheduler that we wrote, um, the, uh, OVS, uh, you know, on the, the SDN side and we're using Ceph to manage the disk infrastructure. Um, we're a big fan of, uh, Kubernetes, uh, for the microservices that we're delivering, uh, to run our, our application, um. It's funny, when I was at Atlassian, I spent a year going through a Mesos versus Kubernetes pissing contest, and it was like really, really painful. And so I'm like, God, I'm really looking forward to not having to go through that again. And when I got here, of course, we have both Kubernetes and Mesos running different parts of our infrastructure. <laughs> so it's like, it's hard to escape that stuff. But, um, you know, lots of, lots of open source tools. You know, ultimately, I think our ability to compete with these really big Providers, whether it's Google or Microsoft or or Amazon, is largely enabled by the the, the rapid maturation of real open source uh, projects that are are fit for purpose. Um, so, I mean, Linux started it, I guess, and just there's more and more stuff that we can both contribute to, we can partake in, and that we can help make uh, and make really good. So. And, and you, I mean, you mentioned you wrote your own scheduler. Like, we, you just, uh, why, in the, why in the world would you write your own when there's so many, well, maybe there weren't at the time, good ones out there. Five years ago, there wasn't, right? Yeah. Five years ago, there wasn't. So is this yeah. like something now as you continue to engineer the next platform, like, uh, you know, Gen 2, Gen 3 for you, does that where you maybe undo your own scheduler and slip in at CD or something like that? Or how does, how does this, how do those thought processes work for y'all? Yeah, one of my, uh, like, I, I would like to take off the shelf anything that I can, um, always. And so, and I am not afraid to throw out things that we've built and replace it with something that's better. Like, I, I have a pride of ownership for sure, but that's, we're here to run a business, right? That's, like, more important than, 
than that, whatever that pride might be. Um, we're kind of at a scale right now, though, with you know dozens of data centers and just many, many thousands of servers where we're not the target audience for most of the off-the-shelf schedulers, for example. Um, so we look at them all the time. I think, and I think the Kubernetes schedule, scheduler will get to our scale because there's just so many people that are working on it. And I think the team is uh, behind it is really good and the community behind it is really good. But you know, we experiment with it. I mean, we use it to run our, you know, the microservices that we, we do, but I don't think I would, uh, I wouldn't suggest using it to run our full infrastructure right now. Yeah, um, by the way, etcd, uh, wrong, wrong tool, apologize. Uh, I'm, just, I'm, I'm up a service discovery. I apologize. So, uh, well, no, but I mean, on buzzwords, but yeah, etcd is a key part of that, right? Yeah. It's the, you know, and the, the core OS guys, um, I think are just brilliant and I really like them. So, um, I'm pretty bullish on what they're doing. That's so. awesome. So uh, in, in you, and you also mentioned, obviously you're using open source in different places and things like that. You're clearly developing against it. Um, are you and your teams uh, contributing back? You know, as you as you make changes or find things that have an impact in your environment, you customize it. Is that a is that a um, a cultural thing inside of DigitalOcean to give back into those projects, or how does that work out? It's it's growing. So the the, uh, the desire to do so is there uh, across the board. So. Um, I would say we have not been as successful at actually uh, doing it as we'd like. So it, it's definitely a focus area for me uh, over the over the coming evolution of the company that we'll we'll be better citizens in that front. Um, you know, we've got a bunch of projects that we that we kind of are active contributors to, but I would say it's not nearly uh, nearly enough, and um, we want to do more there. And I would be I'd be lying to you to say that yeah, we're great. We're great upstream contributors, um, but we're we're definitely getting better, and that's something that we uh, we do care about. Um, we are uh, we are definitely friends to open source for sure. That's I think uh, a legitimate claim. If you look at our community, there's just hundreds and hundreds of like meaningful, important open source projects that run well on Do, and you can go there and the getting started guides, and you find out how to use them. And we're like a great place to run a lot of these things. So. I think our relationship with the with the community is really strong, um, but our, our kind of upstream contributions has not been to the level that I'd like it to be, and that's uh, definitely on my agenda to do something about. And so, as you're as you're doing these things, obviously uh, designing the infrastructure, helping scale, all these kind of things. If we if we refocus on what you said, which was making developers' lives easier, right, and thinking, trying to predict what developers care about. Um, I, I mean, obviously, with your developer background and who you're trying, who your customer focuses, I'd love to hear your opinion. Right? It's your opinion. What do you think developers care about, and then how are you trying to serve that? So I think every time you need to translate your problem, your your don't the your problems in your domain to what that means in my domain, in DigitalOcean's domain, that is a, an opportunity for friction. So, I mean, even in, like in the simplest case, like I wanna do, I wanna run some algorithm, we go, okay, so I need some place to access CPU cycles. Okay, that means I need a droplet. That's actually just a little bit of friction. It's like, it's, it's not that big, but it's like, hey, I, I need some place to run my compute. So, um, I think, for me, it's about really letting developers spend more time, be in the flow in their problem domain, and not force them to exit that domain and go into the domain of what infrastructure is, or what packaging is, or what deployment is, or how does monitoring work, or how does backup work. Like all these things are are necessary evils, but they're not in the problem domain of what that person's really trying to accomplish. And so. The more we can let them operate solely in whatever their business uh, that they're in is, um, I think that's kind of what we're, we're focused on. So you talked about, um, you know, your employees using, you know, DigitalOcean or Droplets as a, as a service. Um, mm -hmm. You've got roughly 300, uh, 300 employees. First of all, what I wanted to understand was kind of the makeup of those employees. How many of those are focused 
primarily on maintaining uh, uh, code and infrastructure for you guys of those 300? Yeah, we're, um, I don't know how much of this is like public knowledge, but we're, we've got a pretty big engineering organization. So, you know, we're definitely north of 100 in kind of engineering. And that's a, a mixture of low-level infrastructure orchestration to customer-facing APIs and, uh, and web applications and, and CLIs and other touch points. So, and I'd say it's roughly kind of half-half. So half of it's customer-facing sort of customers and, uh, uh, excuse me, web applications and APIs and other things like that. And half of it's more on that infrastructure orchestration and uh, automation side. Okay, right on. So, uh, when when um, you know the the team, right, the, your team needs a droplet or needs uh, any sort of resources, do they go through the same, um, you know, kind of the same user interface? And are they are they build back? Is there a chargeback methodology, or is it hey, you have cart block cart blanche access because you're an employee? Like, what's the what's the thought process there? Employees have the ability to spin up stuff on their own to, to, to do things. And surely the applications that they're building that are part of our service are, you know, they're, they're not paying for those out of their, uh, out of their pocket, right? Um, and we, do, we make it available for people to, uh, to do various um, projects themselves. Um, we want to support them using our products as much as we possibly can because that helps them have a better understanding of what it's like to be a developer on our platform and that will make our platform better for other developers. Um, Absolutely. No, that makes sense. It, you know, we just, this is, this is something that we're, we're, we're keenly aware of, right? We're making, we're making uh, resources available and here's the cost. And, you know, we, we preach it all the time is uh, you need to know what your costs are so that you can project and, and budget accordingly. And, you know, um, just try and understand internally if it's, if it's um, a bit more, Hey, if you need it, you got it because we've got this this awesome thing. Um, and it, it's, mostly, it's mostly it's mostly it's mostly that. It's yeah. interesting though. So my personal do account, I have not done the kind of magic to make it free. I've said you know I want to have the full customer experience. So I want normal sign up. I want to get the same bill that you're going to get. I want the I want to get the same marketing emails introducing new products to me. I want to really have my account feel like it's a, or be a legitimate external account. So I don't, yeah, but that's me. No, that's, I think that's, no, that's pretty cool. Um, so, uh, quick to, to kind of jump back to the, the infrastructure again in, in this video, basically he showed a picture of, of, a of the racks and it was just a gobs and gobs of one U servers that he said, you know, we, we basically got from a bunch of OEMs and we've got a bunch of, a bunch of different partners, I wanted to get your 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 thoughts on um, um, you know like things like the Open Compute Project and if there's any involvement or or interest or if it just um, want to continue working with with OEMs uh, moving forward. Yeah, I'm not. You know, that's not my job to answer that question. Um, so you know, I don't want to. I don't want to mislead you. Um, you know, like I'm not part of sort of vendor management. I'm not part of server, uh, the low level server design stuff. Um, definitely the, the infrastructure architects and my peer in, uh, in operations is completely versed on all those questions. And we, it's definitely things we talk about. And as we lay out our sort of multi-year technology strategy and as our scale gets to a certain point, the decisions we make about, um, you know, whether we're okay with a single OEM or whether we need multiples or when we can uh, take open standards um, are things that they are definitely considering. I'm just not the person best suited to give you the latest thinking about that, unfortunately. That's all good. You're gonna you're you're really just teeing it up because you want uh, the VP of infrastructure to come on here too, and that's that's okay. I appreciate it. Um, yeah. <laughs> so. It, I, you know, like if I put my, um, I, my developer pants on, which, uh, I don't get to wear very often cause I'm not a good one at all. I'm not even one. Um, but I woke up tomorrow morning, I'd stayed in holiday and express and all of a sudden I could develop and, <laughs> and, um, I have a project I've got, I want to work on and, um, I, you know, I want to create a 
a bot for something and I'm going to do some trading. Why? And I'm going to go out and make a decision. And that decision probably, frankly, isn't even on-prem. It's just, I got this project, I'm going to try it out, and I'm going to borrow somebody else's infrastructure. I want to rent it. Yep. Um, why am I picking DigitalOcean when there is a veritable ocean of competition out there? What I, I mean, I can tell you why I would. Yeah. Uh, but what's interesting to me is there's like close to a million developers out there who really want DO to be successful. So there's something about how we've kind of positioned the product and how we've, how we treat developers and the, the community uh, behind it. And whether it's our community site and the articles and the, the getting started guides and the people frequently learn about us because they search for how to do something and they found great content that we produced or something like that. But whatever it is, we've made a connection with the developer community and that community really would like us to be successful. And so, um, so what exactly it is that like that connection is, it's a little hard to, hard to put your hands around, uh, put your, your arms around. But the, the we you know, we treat you well. We we care about you and your experience, and I think that translates into that. That's not just like a value statement on the wall. It's like how we operate. Like we really we're, we're quite responsive to what the what our customers are are asking us for and what they're they're telling us to do and, and the things that they like and don't like. And we're we're pretty transparent about about those sorts of things. And it. It really has resulted in a, a pretty, a pretty simple experience. So, and simple doesn't mean not powerful. It just means it's not a hard to do what you want to do. And so, you don't go to some dashboard and there's 50 products and you've got to figure out which is the right one. There's not a hundred different instance types for you to choose from, right? It's like when you go to the store and there's or you go to the ice cream shop and there's 50 flavors of ice cream. You don't know what one to get. When there's only you know vanilla and chocolate, you know which one to get, right? Um, you get both. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> why would you say no to yourself? Don't do that. <laughs> right. So for us, you know, it's. I think we've we've really created something that's given people the, the flexibility, the configuration that they that they need, but not. Not too many hidden things that you you're going to come up against that you you didn't know. Um, you know some of the other providers that I, I've worked with, you kind of discover limitations when you're halfway down your project. You're like, man, I really I wish I knew that. Oh, geez, I better go to a training course to become smarter or hire a consultant. Like we just, I'm not saying there aren't hidden gotchas in what we build because it it, it there are, but it's. To the extent that we can make those much more transparent and less hidden and you kind of know what you get and you know how it works and we're here to help you. And, and uh, I think that's why I would choose us because, yeah, it works pretty well. So. Well, well, Greg, so, you know, before we started recording, I told you that I, that I asked some of the, the DigitalOcean users, hey, what, what would you like to ask? Right. If you were if you were on the podcast right now and and one of the questions that we got and it's it's right in line with what you talked about was simplicity, um, um, you know, but there's also a desire for feature set. So you probably get asked a lot for, you know, X um, as a service or a feature. So how do you how do you prioritize and how do you work with the community to understand and get that feedback uh, from them? I don't want to give you a flippant answer. Um, so I would say that there's there's a pretty decent roadmap of non-controversial things we need to do. So we could either be like really good at listening to our customers or we could be really bad at listening to our customers. We probably still come up with the, hey, we need to go do these things because if you're going to build any application of any kind of complexity, you're going to need A, B, C, and D, right? So Certainly for the last year and into the foreseeable future, there's like a big, there's a big roadmap of stuff we just, we know we need to do. Um, and you're seeing a bunch of it come out, right? You've seen us, we've 
you know, launch, you know, we got our beta for our object store coming up and we launched load balancers and firewalls and monitoring. Like these are all kind of like basic building blocks that you need for like really good applications. Um, and so what gets interesting though is as we start to get, just like you never get to the end, but as you get closer to the, wow, we've, we've got enough of the building blocks, like what do we really need to be doing next? And that's where there's lots of choices. And for us, it's, it's partly who are the personas that we think are representative of the kinds of customers that we want and what are their needs. And so we go and talk to them and they give us their feedback and we, you know, we test and learn like everybody else and we, we try ideas and we, we just got to talk to your customers. And since we've got a pretty rich community, our, our kind of our relationship with those users is pretty strong. So, well, maybe this is a bit a bit short sighted, but is there something that that you you know, or uh, I hate to be so absolute, but um, that you think you you probably would never actually release as a, a service or a feature? Is there something that we would never release as a service or a feature? How about you give me a choice of three, and then I'll, I'll maybe answer yes or no. <laughs> I, I don't know. I mean, look, the, the marketplace is wild across all these clouds with various different things, right? I mean, there's, 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 uh, there's uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence, and um, you know, crazy databases and uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Like, is that the world you want to live in, or do you want to become more of a uh, a marketplace that enables other open source technologies, right? I mean, you have apps as a service, for instance, right? You can deploy Redis and you can deploy um, um, Node.js and these types of things. But is there maybe some that um, you want to develop on your own or you would never develop on your own as a to become a feature set within, within DL? So I don't think, I think the answer is probably a little bit of both, right? So we for sure want to uh, continue to enable the, the rest of the world to be, to be able to deliver that higher level application services on our, our platform as easily as possible. So through, through APIs and in lots of different ways and our one clicks and you know, through Terraform integrations or whatever it is that people go, hey, here's a great way that I can go deploy this thing on DO and, we want to help them and enable them to be really successful in doing that. Um, some of those things will be services that we want to also have a version that we can maybe offer for customers because we think it's um, that we can do a really good job for it. I would say the ones that we probably pay attention to the most first are ones that are really hard for other people to do, where you kind of need to be a little bit closer to the infrastructure to really do it well. Um, so like when we built an object storage product, right? It, it, yeah, you could deploy Ceph as a service on top of Droplet, you know, back, it's, it would just be like really hard to do that well, whereas we can deploy, you know, storage naturally and kind of do it for you and, and you can do a better job for that, so. Again, simple, right? Make it easier. Yeah. Make it easier. Yeah. Um, like databases, though, like that's like a really, Everyone asks that question, like, are you guys going to have a database as a service project? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I don't, I'm not, maybe, yeah, maybe, we, maybe we won't. But we definitely want to make it such that if you want to run Postgres or, you know, scale out DB or MySQL or Cassandra or any of these things or Redis, you know, it should be, you should be able to do that easily on our platform. And if we have some managed services around it, okay, that would be cool. But we, there's no official statement one way or the other about that and as as you describe this uh maybe i mean obviously developers look do you think your your communities look at you as um infrastructure as a service do you feel like there there's kind of a blend between infrastructure and platform um you know are you more opinionated in certain ways where you say hey I've, this is the only way we really want you to run this or is it kind of just you know go wild we've got seven ways by which you could solve the exact same problem like you said, I mean, simplicity. Have you made it really simple where, like, if you want this, this is the way DigitalOcean believes you're going to consume that? I think we're opinionated about a few things, but it's, it's definitely it's an open canvas for people to paint whatever they want on it. Um, 
you know, to the extent that we'll make certain workflows just easy, then if you kind of fall within those workflows, then it will be easy, right? But it, we're not going to tell you you can't do something different. Um, it's kind of like the same approach to how we handle things internally at, at DO. Uh, we've got like three different CI systems. Like it's like, why, right? For a company our size, we should not have three different CI systems. And do I mandate thou shalt all use one? Well, that's not really my approach. My approach is there's actually a bunch of things that we need to do and it'll be easier for you to do them if we all kind of use the same thing. Like we're, you know, if you want to be ISO or SOX compliance, there's a whole bunch of like traceability you need of the artifacts that you've built and how you deploy them and things like that. And so we all kind of go build that in a set of tools that we think are right for, for everybody. And well, either you can use those tools and you'll get it for free or you're gonna to have to like do all that same compliance work yourself. And so it's not like I've told this development team over here, you've gotta use the, the platform tools that you'll get it for free, but you're gonna really want to because it'll just be easier for you. So I think it's the same kind of thing on the platform, right? You can, some things will be easier and so you'll probably wanna do it that way, but you're not, you don't have to. And so, uh, you know, I, I'm fascinated by this communities thing. So uh, I begged Brent to let me kind of dig into it. The way I seem to find most of the online resources that I use is through like a project, like you mentioned. Like, um, uh, I want to go deploy uh, Minikube, which is what I was doing an hour ago. And so I was reading a bunch of things, and it said, hey, here's how you deploy it on your this, this local machine, this local machine, this local machine. And by the way, here's all the service providers that deploy it, and your name was in the list, right? Mm -hmm. There's probably much bigger communities than Minikube because it's brand new, but these these are there a couple of like really large communities of note that say when you want to do this kind of project, uh, DigitalOcean's our best friend. They, every time, everybody's always happy. Most people go there because it seems like a lot of uh, the way I find people is through Groundswell. So who are your groundswell yeah. communities and, and uh, that you guys kind of rely on as, as your bellwethers, I guess? Yeah, I, I'm not actually the best person to ask that question because I don't actually spend a lot of time in the data. I know, <coughs> excuse me, if we look at the, the, the one clicks that get the most use for us, it's like the LAMP stack and WordPress and, and Docker for that matter, we get lots and lots of people use the one click to say, okay, I wanna go do those things and they download them, they, they get up and running. Um, so I would say our, certainly our relationship with those communities is pretty strong, but it's, um, but there's lots and lots of them. And um, you know, you, you wanna talk to, uh, I can put you in contact with other people who can probably give you a better no ideas about that. No, that's good. The one-click installs is pretty good. I mean, that's actually, I mean, uh, every time I seem to go do a project, I'm like, ah, I don't really want to learn this. Like you said, as a non-developer, I want you to make my life super simple. And a one-click install that gets it running is uh, one of the best things that could ever happen, making a layman much, to be able to have a software product deployed off of GitHub kind of thing is uh, is is my favorite thing in the world. I'll pay you 10 bucks yeah. a month just all day long just so I could do those kind of things. So, right. so what do you, when you teach, like, if you're going to go out and, you know, kind of teach me, um, you know, DigitalOcean, the things you care about and those kind of things, you've talked about a lot of those things. What are we, what are we not covering with you? Like, what do you, what do you wish we could ask you or have asked you or uh, whatever that really kind of um, continue to break the ice on what is DigitalOcean and, and why developers are gravitating to it? Yeah, I'm trying. I'm reviewing through some of the things that I wrote down that I thought we might talk about. So, a, a little bit more about the company maybe would be useful for uh, to know about. Um, so, I don't know if you realize this, but we're so we're headquartered in New York. So I think most people know that. But fifty percent, even actually north of fifty percent of our employees are remote, work from home all over the world. So everywhere from, you know, Europe to Canada to all over the US to just all around the world. And I think it's, cause that's where developers are, right? And so we're out there trying to get the best, the best talent we can find and those people are everywhere. And so 
I think we we respect that in our products as well. So we're we're definitely a global company. It's it's like really easy to be like a U.S. only company, and we're trying super super hard not to be that, right? And so it's it's investing in some of these other regions and really trying to make sure that uh, the products work well um, for developers all around the world. Um, and it's hard because like you launch a new product and you want to go, hey, is this product really going to work or not? And it would be, like, be simple to say, hey, well, we'll just launch it in New York. But really, we've got to launch it everywhere because we're, we're a global company and that makes, it makes some things more complicated. So, Yeah, and absolutely. a quick note, again, you're not in marketing, but you know, as we were looking, there's a note that said you're the second largest public cloud provider. Is that based on like kind of like an asterisk of like second largest public cloud provider of certain types of things? Or is that just by footprint? Or do you even know that? Because that seems, that seems huge. I mean, that seems really big. So is that, is there like a... Yeah, like I'm not like, like I'm not in marketing. And, sure. And I, I, math's hard, right? Yeah. But I, I think that that stat comes from looking at internet facing servers, right? And so it's a little confusing, right? Because your your internet facing server could be fronting a much bigger infrastructure behind it that's not on the not on the internet. Mm -hmm. But if you look at those the internet facing points of presence, we're big. That's we're huge. Really, really big. I think I mean what it told to me was if I think about uh well, I mean when I wake up in the morning I think uh, hyperscale service providers, right? I think Amazon, Google, Azure, because they're just kind of the names. Um, the idea that you could even remotely associate yourself with that kind of scale, and I don't know how close that is, is pretty big. So yeah. as, a, as, a, as a level of trust of like, hey, they're not going anywhere. Uh, they're in a lot of places. They've got a lot of great resiliency, and they've got a lot of customers. It says, uh, you know, maybe I'm tired of those, and I want to try something new. Um, mm. You know, there's there's nothing wrong with being really close to as good as all those names, right? I'd yeah. I'd, I'd be happy to be in their room. So, right. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Thank cool. you. Cool. So, I appreciate so it. Greg, um, uh, so I was doing some I was doing some research on if there was like a DO conference or something like that, and kind of like where we could find you next. And it's funny. This is just a side note, but um, there's a there's actually a Digital Ocean conference that just happened at the end of June. Um, and it was, it's actually not your digital ocean. This is Ireland's marine engineering and technology conference. Sweet. Yeah. So it's a digital ocean conference, not you completely right. not related, but, um, on a serious note, when and where can we find you guys next? Right. I, I, you guys have a massive presence uh, in the community. You're all over YouTube at presenting all over the place. Where, where are you guys next? Right. Is it a trade show? Is it, uh, I mean, somewhere downtown New York and, you know, do you guys participate in like strata coming up or whatever? Yeah. So I don't have our calendar in front of us. We were just at OSCON. I think um, maybe you guys bumped into us there too or not. I'm not sure. Um, can I pull up our, yeah, I don't have the speaker calendar in front of me, but we're, yeah, no big deal. we're, we're all, we're speaking all over the place, you know, right on. we don't shut up. Well, we'll do this. How about this? Let's let's plug let's plug a place where they can find it, right? So first of all, um, what's a good place where, where people can go to find out where they can find you next? Yeah, so I mean, come to the website, right? So there's digitalocean.com. There should be a place where where we just talk fart about around on the web. How about fart around the web, right? Yeah, fart around the web. Cool. And then how about you, man? You've got a social presence as well, uh, and and you do talk about about work and, and life and love and. So tell us where we can find you online. Yeah, so I'm on I'm on Twitter. So the Twitter handle is usmile1 um, for lots of crazy reasons, and it's probably the best place on social media. I don't really post to LinkedIn or Facebook. Is pictures of my dog and my kids. So yeah, I'd say you've got an old blog that it looks like you posted like in 13 and 14. Yeah, I used to write a lot of haiku. That was one of my my things. So I post some haiku there, so you can go find some haiku. A lot of happiness in areas in uh, in um, Australia, right? You know, enjoying the sun and writing haikus. Yeah, for sure, for sure. <laughs> you can find me at the uh, at the bridge table. Also, that's my kind of outside of work passion. 
Uh, I don't know if anybody in the audience here plays Contract Bridge, but you might bump into me at a, at a tournament there. Uh, oh, right on. And then, uh, like I said, the, the, the DigitalOcean YouTube channel is phenomenal. There are hundreds and hundreds of videos, so I would encourage you to go there. Um, and then what's always fun for us, too, is we like to you know get kind of get into the mind of, of what keeps you busy outside of work. Or maybe yeah. it's related to work, but uh, a, a great book suggestion that you're reading now or have read and want to encourage our listeners to uh, partake in. Yeah, so this would be a much more interesting question for my wife because she is a voracious reader. She like plows through like five books a week where I am like much slower than she is. The book I'm currently reading is uh, Canticle for Leibowitz, which is an old school science fiction novel, but it's, um, it's pretty interesting. I'm definitely... Uh, Definitely enjoying that, and kind of two of my two of my favorite sort of technology books. One is uh, uh, Demarco's Waltzing with Bears about risk management. I don't know if you if you haven't read that, that's uh, one I highly recommend. And um, uh, what's the other one? That's uh, the IBM. That's the IBM guy, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And it's, he talks all about like building airports and how they totally screwed up the schedule because they didn't think about risk properly. And um, then Steve McConnell's uh, software estimation book, I think, is a really uh, is like an eye opening book for me. So those are two that I highly recommend. Uh, that awesome. wal- that Waltzing with Bears. That is the second time I've heard that book in seven days. So really, yeah, and it was by somebody else who is uh, extremely passionate about reliable infrastructure. So. Um, that, that's a, that's correlation for me. That says go get the books. Okay. So, yeah, that's uh, good. head straight from here to Amazon. And, uh, I think you just sold a ton of waltzing with bears. Maybe you okay. like a, maybe you'll get like a cent a piece or something. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> well, cool. Um, so, so Greg, certainly appreciate your time today. I know you've got a hard stop and we want to give you a, a couple minutes back before you got to jump on to the next thing for you. But, uh, on behalf of the hot aisle, um, we want to encourage all of you listening out there today to get social with us, get social with Greg and any of the, the guests that we've had in the past. Ask questions. Let us know what you want to hear about next. Uh, we're having a great time, um, and, I, and I hope you guys are too. So with that, we're going to shut down the hot aisle today. My name is Brent Piotti. And I'm Brian Carpenter, the late one. <laughs> the late one. And then Greg Warden. Thanks for being on today, my friend. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. This was, uh, this was a lot of fun. I uh, hope we can do it again sometime. Yes. Absolutely. Talk to you soon, Greg. Yeah.